me for the choices I've made and the life I've lived. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Let me begin with a little bit of a, a review to kind of back us up and get some basic foundational truths to build off of today. I spoke to you from the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 where it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So the Bible calls God a rewarder. It's important that we understand the concept of rewards in our lives. Um, we're moved and motivated for a sense of reward. Whatever you and I do in life, it's because we feel like at the end of it, there is a reward. There's a payback. There is something we're going to benefit. We establish our value system based on what we perceive to be the greatest rewards. We endure hardship, difficulties. We do things we don't want to do because we believe if we'll do them, there is a reward at the end. God is a rewarder and He guarantees rewards in life for doing the right thing. Rewards in this life and in the life to come. I read to you from Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Listen to what Peter asked. He said, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. So we found out that when we sacrifice, we give up something for God, that He promises to reward us. He said, you'll not only have it in eternity, but you'll have it now in this time. But did you notice He said, you will have it with persecution? So God said, I'll reward you in this life, but it doesn't mean you won't suffer hardship and there won't be pain, but with the pain, there will be rewards. So our reward comes in two tiers. There is the here and now, while you and I are living and breathing on this earth, and then there is the reward that will come in heaven. Today in the teaching, I want to talk to you about your heavenly, eternal reward. Then we looked at Revelation chapter 22, verses, verse 12 and 13. Jesus said, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. So not only is he coming back to reward the righteous, but he said, I'm going I'm to reward all people according to their deeds. So everybody's going to be rewarded. Some rewards are wonderful. And some are terrible. It's all according to the choices that we make in life. If we choose the right things, we'll have a wonderful reward. If we choose the wrong things, we'll be rewarded with punishment. 
How many of you want a good reward when you see the Lord? I want a good reward. Thank the Lord. That's what we're working for. So today I want to answer the question, what things can I do that God promised to reward? So if one day I'm going to meet the Lord and He's going to reward me for the choices I've made in life, what can I do that ensure that I'm going to have an eternal reward? Jesus answered these questions throughout the Scripture. I want to share a few of those with you. Behavior that God promised to reward. First of all, God will reward you for seeking Him through spiritual acts such as fasting and prayer. So every time you set time aside, push back the plate and go on a fast to give yourself to the Lord, every time you pray, God said there is a reward for that kind of spiritual activity. When you read your Bible and you study and you give yourself to the Lord in devotion, these are things that God said He would reward. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, He said, When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. So one of the things God is going to reward is the time we spend fasting, prayer, and private devotion. The time you and I log, pushing back the other activities of the day and the responsibilities that we all have, and putting into our life schedule time to seek God through prayer, fasting, and private devotion. These are things that God said He would reward. The second, God will reward you for submitting to your employer as a faithful steward. So as you pursue your career, we all have authority figures over us in some form or fashion. And God said our attitude toward them, when we humble our hearts and we serve them as unto the Lord, God said, I'm going to make a note of that and I'm going to reward you for it. Colossians 3, 22. Slaves. Now, we don't have slaves today, thanks, thank the Lord, but we do have employees, so it's important that we understand the relationship. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them at all times, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward, that the master you're serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. So, you and I go to work, we apply a trade, we give our time and our energy. For that, there is some remuneration. We're going to get paid a wage or a salary, and it's coming back to us. But God said, more than just what is on your check, I am going to keep an account of the attitude with which you serve. 
and I will reward you with an inheritance because of your attitude. An employer might reward you financially for the number of hours you serve, may reward you for the quality of your work, or he may reward you for your effectiveness or for the magnitude of the impact you made on the company. He may reward you for those things. But God said, I'm not going to reward you for those things. That's his job. I'm going to reward you because everything you did, whether people were watching or not, you did it as unto the Lord. I'm going to reward your attitude. It's that attitude that God is looking for in eternity. It's that attitude that he said he would reward us for. Can you say amen? The third behavior that God said he would reward is self-denial in his service, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what you... And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? If anything worth, is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of the Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. So God said that if you give up the life you would have lived, if you give up what you would have done with your life, where and how you would have lived it out. And you submit yourself to the will of God, and you say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not the life I dreamed of, not the life I might have lived, but I want to live the life you want me to live, and I will put you and your plan first. Then God said, that's a life I will reward. If you take up your cross, you follow Jesus, denying yourself, denying things you would want to do, things you would enjoy, pursuits that you would like to have in life, and you give it up for the kingdom of God, he clearly said that he is going to reward you abundantly for all of eternity. Number four, God will reward you for serving those in need in his name, Mark 9 and 41. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. So every time you help someone in the name of the Lord, you assist them, small or great, you give to them in any way, you serve them, help them, even the smallest deed, Jesus said, just a cup of water. The least you can do, the least you can give, the very slightest act of kindness that you give in the name of the Lord, he said, I'm going to take account of that, and I'm going to give you a reward. So God has this massive database, I picture, and he's got someone doing data entry 24-7, maybe a lot of angels. I don't know how he gets it done. But he records every slight thing that you and I do in his name for anyone else. And he said, in the end, when I return, I'm going to bring a reward with you. And it's going to be your eternal retirement plan. And so 
we all should be putting back for those retirement years here on earth. We should be saving and watching our money grow so that at such a time that we're finished with our career and it's time for us to go into the golden years, that we have some gold to live those years on, right? Well, that's part of the whole thinking of God. But He's not talking about the last 20 years of our lives. He's talking about eternity that cannot be measured in terms of time, seconds, days, and years. And whatever we do on earth is like a deposit we're making in our eternal retirement plan. Not that we're going to be retired in eternity, but we're going to live forever. And what we're doing now is putting rewards back so that in eternity we have something to enjoy and we have a significant reward for the life that we've made. So we learn from this verse of Scripture that God rewards every slightest deed. So never pass up an opportunity to help someone, be kind to someone in a small way or a large way, but God will repay you. In the book of Proverbs it says, if you give to the poor, you are really lending to the Lord. So sometimes you can see someone and they may have a bizarre, bogus story made up why they need help. And it may be all a lie. And they just made it up so you would somehow touch your heart and cause you to give them money. God's not looking at the lie they tell you. He's not looking at the reasons why they need help or why they don't have a job. He's not looking at any of that. He's just looking at my response. And if I respond right, I get a check mark. In my mind, it's a big check mark. So we want to make sure that we are giving and caring for others always because we're ensuring that our reward in heaven is going to be great. Remember that nothing we have here goes with us when we die. We have to leave it all behind. Nothing goes with us. And the only thing we're going to have over there is what God keeps a record of and gives us a reward for. That's what's going to be waiting for us. Now, let me go to um, 5. God will reward you for suffering for His name and reputation, Luke 6, 22. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Do you realize that more people are giving their lives in the 21st century for their faith in Christ than at any other time in the history of the church? Do you realize that we're accounting for more martyrs for their faith in Christ in this century than we have all previous centuries? That hundreds of millions of people have been displaced from their home, their occupation, and been separated from their family because they are followers of Jesus Christ? Now, that's not happening here in the greater Houston area. But in other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering at huge expense for the cause of Christ. And God said, if this happens to you a lot or a little, in a small way or a huge way, He said, God will give you a great reward in heaven. 
There's some of us that are enjoying our reward here. Others are not enjoying their reward here, but it's all being stacked up, stored up, multiplying for them in eternity. Not every child of God is happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise, living the good life of America. Some of them are suffering, but God said, I will watch them and care for them, and I will abundantly repay them for all of eternity. There might be a way that you and I suffer for His name. Compared to those people, probably not much at all. But if you and I suffer at all, if we're rejected, we mislose a contract or don't get a promotion or a job opportunity doesn't come open or a place doesn't come open because of our faith in Christ, God said, I will reward you for that and I will remember you in eternity. Six, God said He will reward you for sacrifices you make for Him. Luke 6, 35. In fact, Jesus said that every person who sacrifices to follow Him will be rewarded a hundredfold. I read to you from Matthew chapter 19 where He said some have left houses and lands, but He said, I'm going to give it all back now with persecution and I'm going to give it to you in eternity. Seven, God will reward you for sharing your faith, your time, your talent, and your treasures to further His kingdom, Matthew 6 and 3. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So whatever you give, your time, your talent, your treasure, God said, I'm keeping a careful account of that, and I will reward you. Well, I've given you seven very clear things that God said He rewards. But it's my deep conviction that this is not all that God rewards, but this is the nature, this is the kind of life, the kind of behavior that God is looking for to reward us. Remember that God keeps close accounting and He promises us that we can't take anything with us, but when we get there, He's going to have a reward waiting for us that's going to be more grand and wonderful than anything we can imagine here on earth. How many want to live a life that God can reward? When do we receive this reward? Well, you already know that Jesus said the Son of Man is coming back, and when He comes back, He's going to have His rewards with Him. For soon after the return of Christ, we're going to be fully rewarded for the lives we have lived. Paul addressed this in three different locations about this event of rewards. In the same way that every four years we watch our Olympian athletes compete, win, and then stand on the podium with their flags and their national anthem proudly representing their country, receiving the gold and the silver and the bronze. There's going to come a day when you and I are going to have an awards ceremony and it is going to be a time when God is going to reward us for the lives that we have lived here. And that must be the moment that we're all looking for. Paul referred to it as the judgment seat of Christ or the bema as it is in the Greek. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 and 10. Therefore, we make it our aim, 
whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we're all going to stand before God. We're going to receive the things done, good and bad. And he calls it the judgment seat of Christ. This is the Bema. Now, in Greece, there is the ancient city of Corinth. And like many of those ancient cities, they have ruins that date back thousands of years that you can go and visit. One of the things you can see in the ancient city of Corinth is the ruins where there was an elevated platform of stone called the Bema. As a matter of fact, when you read in the book of Acts, Paul himself had to go to the Bema at Corinth, Acts chapter 18, because he was preaching the gospel. They called him before the council and stood him on the Bema. It would have been an elevated, decorated place. It would have been a place of judgment where people would stand and defend themselves, and then the court would make a decision about um, their guilt or innocence. And so Paul stood there on that Bema and had to give an account of his faith. Galileo, the, Gallio, the uh, Roman governor of that day, uh, dismissed the case and he escaped governmental punishment. However, before he could leave the, the area, the Bible says that they captured him and they beat him severely and then released him. So it was three years later that he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he goes back to the Bema. But he said it's not going to be that same platform, that same elevated Bema that I stood on and you judged me, but it's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to stand before him, and the things we have done in this life are going to be carefully examined, and we're going to be rewarded accordingly. Two years after that, he would write to the church of Rome, and he would again mention this Bema that he himself had stood on. And he said in 14 and 19, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I'm going to slow down and pause just for a minute, and I'm going to ask you to think about what would it be like to stand before God and the host of heaven, be the center of attention, all eyes and lights on you, and then have to give an account for everything in your life. Now remember, you're standing before God, the essence of holiness, the essence, essence of purity and truth. So in His light, there is no deception. There is nothing hidden. Everything is made clear. So you're standing there before God, and it's as if you were naked. As if the whole world was looking at you inside and out. And suddenly... Everything you've done, good and bad, is suddenly before everyone. The knowledge of my life and yours fills the atmosphere, and everyone's looking at our lives exactly as they were.
That's what the judgment seat of God is going to be all about. It's a serious, serious moment that we're all going to experience. But Jesus will be judging our works, not our salvation. He'll be judging what we've done on earth. He will not be determining whether we're saved or lost. You see, when I stand in that place, my sin is, will have been covered by the blood, and I will not be standing there naked and all of my sin exposed because the blood of Jesus will have covered my sin. But Paul said what, you're, what is going to be judged is going to be my works, my behavior. So my sin has been covered because Jesus forgave me and the sacrifice he made it on the cross, the death that he died covers my sin. So I don't have to stand there worried about all the sin I've committed and what's going to happen. Maybe I'm not going to make it. No, I'm already there. My sin has been covered. The price has been paid and my salvation settled. So when I stand on the bema of the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not going to be standing there nervously biting my nails wondering if I'm going to go to heaven or hell. I'm going to be standing there waiting for my works to be judged. It's my feeling, and this is not my subject today, but it's my feeling that sin that you and I might have in our life today has consequences in this time, in this life. So any sin you and I tolerate in our lives, known or unknown, has a consequence in our life. But when we step into eternity, and all eternity is at stake, the blood will cover us, and our salvation will not be in jeopardy because He has already paid the price, and we'll stand clothed in the righteousness of God. But don't make any mistake about it. In this life, any sin you and I tolerate in our life will have consequences in this life. Something to think about. But when we stand before God, our salvation will not be in question, but what we have done will be judged. Now we go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul now compares our lives to a building we have built. And he says this, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's works will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So one day we're going to stand before God, and um, the life we built is going to be tested by fire. And if we've made choices in life, that had no eternal value, it's going to be like wood, hay, and stubble. And so when the fire hits it, it's going to burn and be disappeared. So there's probably a lot of things we're doing, a lot of things we're pursuing, a lot of things we're accomplishing 
that may have earthly value and immediately rewards, but in eternity it has no value. See, the value systems of earth and the value system of heaven is two different value systems. So there's things we're going to be applying ourselves to and getting done and achieving and pursuing and paying a price. But when the fire hits it, it's going to burn. And then there are other parts of our lives that have eternal value. It's made of gold and silver. And when the fire hits it, it isn't destroyed. It lasts for eternity. I spoke with you some in this series about value systems. Our core values are those things which we perceive have the greatest reward. Um, it's possible to, to pursue things in life that has a reward, but it doesn't have a great and lasting reward. It's possible to be climbing the ladder in life to try to get somewhere, only to find out you have the ladder leaning on the wrong building. Because the things that you valued didn't have the return. They didn't get you where you wanted to go. It didn't have the meaning and the, the happiness and the fulfillment. Like I, I paid a lot to get it, but after I got it, it, it didn't have any real value. It didn't give me in return what I wanted. It was wood, hay, and stubble. But as you go through life, you learn to value things that have eternal value. Things made of gold and silver. Things that can stand the test of fire and time. And things that will last for all of eternity. Because one day everything we've done our whole life is going to be piled up and the match is going to be thrown to it and it's going to start to burn. And much of it is going to burn up because it, it didn't mean anything for eternity. But then what's left is going to be the gold and silver of things we have applied ourselves that really does have value and significance for all of eternity. That's why I started with seven things that God said He would reward. These are things that can stand the test of fire, the test of time. These are things that's going to give me an eternal retirement program, if you please, because they will stand that test. Notice that it said, God will reveal them. So when, when all my stuff, my whole life is stacked up, ready for the test, it will be revealed what is good, what is bad, what has eternal value, what has no lasting value, what was a waste in light of eternity, and what will, will be there forever. And God will test it by fire. The way we've spent our lives, the way we've applied our time, our talent, our treasures. We are stewards, and whether we have spent it wisely, we found the will of God, we've done the will of God for our lives, we pursued the career, we pursued the family, we pursued the activities and the endeavors and the ministry God put on our lives. If we pursued those things, then we're going to be rewarded for all of eternity. Remember, my salvation will not be at stake, but everything I've done will be tested. For the most part, the American dream will burn. For the most part, what you and I call the American dream will burn. 
You see, you and I are Westerners, and we read the Bible through the lens of the Western culture. But the Bible was not written through that lens. We need to read the Bible with a clear lens, not the Western lens that is distorted, but a clear lens of God's Word. And read the Bible for what it actually says. The American dream is going to burn. But if we seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness, that will last forever. The Bible talks about some of the tests that, that our activity, our pursuits, our endeavors, things we hope to achieve. First of all, there has to be a relationship test. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So whatever we do, whatever we apply ourselves, whatever we give our life to, it has to be in relationship with Jesus. If, it, if Jesus isn't comfortable, if Jesus doesn't fit in, Jesus isn't a part of it, if Jesus isn't guiding and blessing it, I don't want nothing to do with it. Because he said, without me, you can do nothing. Now you can do some things, but they won't last, they won't stand up, they won't have a reward. A second test that I see in Scripture is motives. Jesus said, whatever you do, don't do it before men. Don't give things. Don't serve people. Don't pray things. Don't fast just so other people will. Don't do anything for the applause of man. Don't do anything just so others will think more of you. He said, because if you do, that's all you're going to get. Enjoy it. Live it up because... When the clapping dies, the reward's over. So your motive, why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. And when you serve someone, serve them as if you were serving Christ himself. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, he said, when I come back, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. The goats are going to hell and the sheep are going to heaven. And let me tell you what a sheep acts and lives like. He said, I was sick and you came to visit me. I was in prison and you came to see me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. And they said, Jesus, we've never seen you naked. When were you ever hungry? And you hadn't been to jail that we know of. And he said, as often as you've done it for the least of these, you've done it unto me. This is the kind of life that God will reward. What is your motive? The final love is test. Remember reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? And Paul gives us 12 dynamic verses about the beauty and the value of true love in our lives. And he said, you know, if you speak in the tongue of men and angels, men have languages, angels had language, and if you're so bilingual that you can speak languages of men and languages of angels, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. And then he said, if you give your body to be burned, and you virtually give your life, but you don't have love, 
He said, you're just like a, a clanging sound, a musical instrument that's out of tune and out of time. It doesn't mean anything. So what we do must be motivated by love. And God demonstrated that. It's recorded for us in John chapter 3, verse 16. You already know that verse. For God so loved the world that He gave. Love was His motivation. His action was giving. And His expectation was that He could bring many sons into righteousness. And so we must be moved and motivated by love. The Apostle John, you remember, he was the oldest living of the original 12 disciples. He would have lived to the end of the first century. He suffered violently for his faith, but probably was the only one of 12 that did not die a mortar's death. And he said in his second letter, chapter 2, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for but that we may receive a full reward. So he raises the question that we could live a life and lose our reward. Live a life thinking we were doing all the right stuff and getting it all done and and, and adding it up to something significant and then just lose it. God help us to live a life so that we can get our full reward. Well, I don't know how much you've really studied the concept of reward in the Bible, but it is really a big subject. And you can find it all the way from the Genesis to the Revelation. And you can find it in the words of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles. Because much of what we're living for in this life is about reward. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, those that are first in this life, when they get to the reward, they're going to be last. And some that are last in this life are going to be like first in the reward. So some people are doing their best, thinking they're doing it all right, and yet it's not going to have lasting value. And whereas they were first, when they get there, they're going to end up last. And there's some people that are thinking everybody else is doing all the big, great, wonderful stuff. But when they get there, they're going to be so wonderfully surprised to find out all the little things they've done for God and other people through their lifetime had amounted to a great reward. And the whole thing is very likely going to be turned upside down when we get there because God's going to reveal lasting rewards as opposed to temporary rewards. I want the kind of that last and last and last. Can you say amen? amen? Well, I don't have time to go a lot further with this today, but I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about what will our rewards be. Generally, plenty, abundance, no lack, no want, No trying to earn a living. No nose to the grindstone. No heavy budgeting. No sacrificing for this so we could get that. None of that but just living in plenty and abundance. We're going to live in an environment of peace. 
An environment of harmony. An environment of love. No more fighting and striving and competition and dog-eat-dog and, 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 and strife and hatred and division and, and acu- accusations and character assassinations. Just an environment of peace, harmony, and love. It's going to be an environment of freedom. First of all, freedom from sin. The fleshly nature that is constantly pulling us in the wrong direction is going to be eradicated. And we're going to be free from any kind of temptation or or pull of sin. Free of the struggles of life. Free of conflict. Free of problems. We're going to have access to the throne. Access to the throne. Man, what's that going to be like? have access to the throne. I mean, go straight to Jesus and have a talk. Ask some questions. Get some advice. Hang out. Spend some time. Access to the throne. And we're going to have more opportunities to serve than we can even imagine. And the reason we know this is because Jesus gave two different parables. I'll mention the one in Luke 19 where he gave minas, which is a piece of money to each of his servants, and he went in a far country to receive a kingdom. That's what Jesus did. He went away to receive his kingdom, and then he's coming back. And so when he comes back, he's going to call each of his servants in. He's going to ask them to give an account for what they did with all he gave them while he was gone. That's my life. That's your life. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And he said... One man came and said, here's ten minas. I put it to work. I used what you gave me. I multiplied it. I did the best with what I had to work with. And here's your return. And he said, wow, ten minas. I'm going to give you ten cities to rule. Another man came and he said, I have five minas. And Jesus said to him, I'm going to give you five cities to rule. So the last portion of our reward is going to be authority, rulership, stewardship. So when you die, it's not like playing violins and harps for millions of years. (laughs) Sitting by the river of life, kicking your feet. Eating fruit from the tree that bears 12 months out of the year. It's not like that's all we're going to be doing. Now, I want to do some of that stuff, right? But that's not all we're not going to be doing. Some people think heaven is like this one very, very, very long church service. (laughs) I mean, like church that never ends. They're like, man, I don't know if I want to do this heaven thing or not. No, I don't know how it's going to work. I just know that when we meet God and receive our rewards, one of our rewards is He's going to look at our stewardship in life and He's going to say, okay, I believe you're ready for five cities or ten cities or two cities or God knows what. We don't know a lot about what happens after that. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot. It leaves room for our imagination. So here's mine, imagination. You know, we're still discovering galaxies, stars, and planets. I mean, there's so many out there, we can't even see them all. We sent a telescope to space so we would 
see that much further. And we're still discovering stuff out there we didn't know was there. What is all that about? Is it just so we could lay down at night and look up and see the stars bright in the sky? Or does God have another plan, bigger, grander, and more wonderful than we could ever imagine? So wonderful that he said, I'm not even going to tell you about it because you couldn't wrap your brain around it if I told you what eternity was really going to be about. All I know is that when I get my reward as a servant, my reward is going to be more serving because that's what I love to do. More authority, more responsibility. God's going to invest in me. And whatever that is, He will know and He will be fair and honest. And He'll say, Randy, this is what I've assigned you to for all of eternity. This is your turf. This is your area of responsibility. This is a city you're going to rule. I don't know what all that means in reality. I just know that it's tantalizing to me to think what God has in store for you and I throughout all of eternity. And my eternity is going to be predicated on the life I live here and the rewards I accumulate. What must we do now? Our greatest desire must be to live in a way that pleases God. God, how do you want me to live? What will please you? Our supreme goal in life is to build His kingdom. That's what we must pursue first and foremost. Thirdly, our greatest hope is to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And finally, our ultimate reward will be to spend all of eternity with God. So are we living our life the way of the world, the way of our fleshly nature, fleshly desires? Are we pursuing our goals and dreams, or are we, have we found God's will for our lives? That is what is so important. The way of the earth, the way of the na- man, the nature of man is to live for the here, live for the now. But the way of a child of God is to live for eternity. See, the Bible says when you and I gave our hearts to the Lord, that He gave us eternal life. So the day I was saved, I got eternal life. So someday this body will die and be buried in the ground, but I will live on. And I will live throughout all of eternity. And at the resurrection, He'll pull my body, soul, and spirit back together. And I'll live forever and ever because He's promised me eternal life. So right today... I'm not just living for what I can do now, enjoy now, accumulate now, accomplish now, but I'm living for eternity. Eternity is a lot longer than life. Someday you and I will look back at our 60, 80, 100 years that we have on earth, and it will be the blink of an eye compared to all of eternity. And that's what God has promised to each of us that follow Him faithfully. Can you say amen? Hope you've enjoyed the teaching today, and it's been a blessing to you. You can close your Bibles. We had a great altar invitation a little early. So many came and received a touch from the Lord. Thank God He's a prayer-answering God. But we'll close today and ask our prayer partners to come forward. And there's any of you that missed that prayer invitation, you can certainly take up the opportunity to come forward and receive prayer before you leave today. 
I want to talk to anyone here that hasn't given their lives to the Lord. You really haven't committed your heart to Christ. This is a great and a glorious time to do that thing this morning. All you have to do is say, I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to be a follower of Jesus, and I want to do His will in my life. And any of these prayer partners will be happy to pray with you about that and help lead you to that place in your life. If you've been away from God and you, you've already made the commitment, but somehow you, you kind of took a detour, took an exit, you wish you wouldn't have taken, whatever, you want to get back on the main road, what a great opportunity this is. Just say, you know what, I want, to pray with, I want you to pray with me that I can get back on the right road. That's all you've got to say. And we will pray and God will see where you are. He'll wonderfully restore, renew you, and give you a fresh start in life. You feel like that maybe you've been building your life on wood, hay, and stubble. And you want to put some gold and silver in it. You want your life to count. And you want to live a life that God can really reward. We want to pray with you about that. Let us help you. Stand if you will. Anyone that needs prayer or ministry can begin to come forward now. We're closing our service. But this altar will remain open as long as anyone needs prayer. Please come forward. God bless you so very much. It's been a joy being with you. Thanks for letting me share the word with you. It's my great joy in life to do so. May the Lord bless and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Be good to you. Be merciful to you. And help you in all your ways. I pray that the Holy Spirit would overshadow you. Lead you, guard you, guide you, and use you for His glory. I pray that God would reveal Himself to you. That He would show up in your dreams. Show up in your work day. Show up in your private devotion. Speak to your heart and reveal Himself strong. Use you for His glory. I speak this blessing on you all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for being here today. Again, if you need prayer ministry, come forward right now.